Marjorie Taylor Greene turns on Speaker Kevin McCarthy and takes a Pentagon spending bill down with her. I just voted no on the rule, and I'll be voting no on the bill. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Patricia Murphy. Until now, Marjorie Taylor Greene has been a trusted ally for the embattled House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, but she surprised her House colleagues Thursday by stopping the defense bill over funding for the war in Ukraine. I'm AJC Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell. Atlanta rapper Quavo takes the fight against gun violence to Washington. We came to D.C. to spend this day talking about what we need from policymakers to build safer futures for our community. And the major announcement expected from President Biden about gun violence prevention. And I'm Bill Nygut. Georgia Republicans are mobilizing today in support of the Atlanta Police Training Center, while at the same time, Democrat John Ossoff says he supports a training center. He's just not saying where. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Tia, Bill, <laughs> it, it's, it's a week in Georgia politics, so it has been a crazy week. And Tia, you've got I mean, you've got some people in town in Washington today. Yeah, it's a crazy it's been a crazy week with the appropriations fight on Capitol Hill. Um, Ukrainian President Zelensky was in town on Thursday. The Congressional Black Caucuses, big annual legislative conference has been all week. And quite frankly, it's turning out to be a crazy Friday. Yeah. And in all of it, Tia. Georgia, Georgia continues to play such a crucial role in so much of what's going on on your beat in Washington. Right, because even everything I just mentioned, the gun violence prevention, we've got rapper Quavo, who was raised in Gwinnett County. He's still based in Atlanta. We've got Lucy McBath, who's also going to be part of that White House announcement on gun violence prevention. Of course, we're going to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and the influence she's had on the meltdown over appropriations this week. And also that said meltdown has to do with her opposition to funding Ukraine. So it all kind of continues to involve Georgia in the conversation here in Washington. Well, we're going to get to all of that and other discussions about how Georgians are influencing Americans' lives more every day. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? We're going to talk about all of that. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hardline Republicans are continuing to jam House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on his efforts to keep the federal government operating past the end of this month. 
This week, that meant just six Republicans, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, torpedoed what is usually one of the easiest votes in Congress, approving spending for the U.S. military. We should have been passing our appropriation bills back in August, is, is what I believe. And we should be passing our appropriation bills right now. Uh, and I've been very clear about take the Ukraine money out of the defense bill and put it in a separate funding bill so that members like me can vote no and other members can vote yes if they want to. It's the easiest thing to do. They still wouldn't do it, so I just voted no on the rule. And I'll be voting no on the bill. So, Tia, I think the confusion over Green is that she had initially voted for the procedural vote on the DOD spending bill, and then she changed her vote, and that appeared to come out of the blue for just about everybody on Capitol Hill. But I want to quickly say, I mean, Green has been very clear about, I'm not going to vote for funding for Ukraine. I'm not going to vote for a CR. I feel like we've heard this from her since actually since she started to support McCarthy at the beginning of the year. But all of a sudden, I think people are used to people falling in line and lining up with their camps. But man, Kevin McCarthy cannot count on that anymore. Well, part of that is because Kevin McCarthy has so many camps he's trying to appease. So Marjorie Taylor Greene is with him on just about everything except for when it comes to the war in Ukraine. And so what she said in the past was, of course, no new money. Of course, she has opposed all the different rounds of funding Ukraine and she will continue to oppose it. And she said, now I won't just oppose standalone legislation on funding Ukraine. I'll oppose other bills if they include any new money for Ukraine. But what she's now saying in voting no on the defense appropriations bill is that she wants the federal government to find a way to claw back previously approved money for Ukraine. Okay. And what um, a lot of her Republican colleagues, one of the reasons why they're so frustrated with her on this is that's not easy to do when you're talking about a bill that funds the entire Department of Defense, which is what she blocked on Thursday. So, you know, because you can argue there are any position in the U.S. military um there are many that are supporting operations with Ukraine in contact with Ukraine, providing training and other assistance to Ukraine. So it's not like there's just one line item in the defense appropriations bill that you can say, we'll just separate that out and Marjorie Taylor Greene will be happy because as you, we, as anyone who's ever tried to decipher an appropriations legislation, quite frankly, at any level of government will let you know these things are dense and it's not just it's not one line item. There are many. But again, when you talk about international security, national security, international security, it's not just one or a few line items that would be affected. Yeah. So and of course, included in that funding is funding for all 13 military bases here in Georgia. So this is not uh, just an esoteric conversation. This is funding for October 1st for those bases here in the state. Um, Bill, there are two, I feel like there are two separate conversations happening. Well, there are probably a hundred separate conversations <laughs> happening with, with Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Um, but two of the biggest ones are this question of, 
American support for Ukraine, as well as um, funding for the U.S. government with a sub-conversation about, are we going to do this with one giant omnibus bill? Are we going to do this with 12 separate funding bills, which is what the hardliners want and expected? Although now we're down to, you know, we're going to have seven days left until the wheels come off this wagon. Yeah. You know, one of the issues it, it strikes me here is how many moving targets does Speaker Kevin McCarthy have to deal with in terms of trying to appease the various hardliner demands uh, that keep popping up. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene let him down yesterday because she suddenly says, no, I'm not going to vote to allow a, a, a vote to go forward on defend, uh, the Defense Department if it includes money for Ukraine. You've got members saying we are not going to vote unless uh, we get an effort to reduce or defund the Justice Department or the special prosecutor uh, dealing with um uh, uh, the Trump uh, case in Washington, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, it is just one of many voices. And, you know, I, I found something really interesting uh, in the New York Times today. Paul Krugman, who I think most people would agree is a pretty liberal uh, columnist, um, he wrote that he went back to 1995 when when Speaker then, Newt Gingrich of Georgia, shut down the government, he said, you know, at least when Gingrich did that, he had a very specific goal in mind. He had a specific uh, spending target that he wanted to reach, and um, he was not getting anywhere with the um, uh, Clinton administration on dealing with that, and so they shut the government down. And when Gingrich recognized that that spending target wasn't going to be met. It did a great deal of damage, the shutdown. It ended up losing Republican seats. But then Gingrich had to concede. And the point Krugman was making is that Kevin McCarthy has no specific goal in mind. He's just responding to the latest whims and eccentricities of the hard liners. And one last point, I thought Representative Don Bacon a Republican of Nebraska had one of the best lines of the week that I heard to you. In response to all of this, he said, some of those folks, meaning the hardliners, would vote against the Bible because it's, because there's not enough Jesus in it. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of not far off from the truth when you talk about banning books these days, because if you open up the Song of Solomon, it might make some of these hard right members clutch their pearls. But... um. <laughs> As far, sorry, we're getting off topic a little bit, but but to your point, so in the House Republicans are in this appropriations fight and there are different camps. There are the never the ones that do not want a continuing resolution. They're saying, which is the stopgap funding, the temporary funding to avoid a shutdown. There are several members who say they will never vote yes on a continuing several several Republican members saying they'll never vote yes on a continuing resolution. They are only wanting to vote on the long term appropriations bills one by one. Twelve different bills must pass the House, which is part of the reason why the defense legislation failed. Again, Marjorie Taylor Greene wasn't part of that camp, but most of the people who voted no were. And they say it's because they were sending a message that other bills need to move to. Now, the problem with that is these bills are 
very conservative. They reduce federal funding. They include uh, culture wars, policy writers. Democrats are not going to support it, which means you need Republicans to be unified. Right now, Republicans aren't unified. The majority's too slim. If enough vote with Democrats, these bills fail. That's what we saw this week. But then there's a different camp, the anti-Ukraine camp. So again, if it includes too much for Ukraine, they're going to side with Democrats and vote against it. Um, There's also camps um, who've talked about, like we talked about defunding the Justice Department and certain bills they won't support because they wanted to include policy writers that defund investigations of Donald Trump. That's what Andrew Clyde has said. Again, if he and others vote with Democrats, the bills fail. Now you might hear people, Austin Scott, when I talked to him this week, he was like, well, we got to put some of this blame on Democrats. They're not willing to vote yes. But let me be clear, that is not how it works in the House, especially on these procedural votes. It's the majority who has to get the votes first. That's Republicans. Yeah, well, so, Bill, I think you made a great point in that the difference between this and um, the Gingrich era is that Gingrich was driving that train. And in this situation, it is the cargo that's driving the train. (laughs) Uh, There is no conductor right now for the Republicans. It's very clear that even though McCarthy negotiated an agreement with the White House over the summer about spending levels, all of that has unwound because his caucus um, is not standing with him and he can't afford to have 15 separate votes. He might be able to work this out with by pushing his conference through until three in the morning again, but he just doesn't have that option right now. So let's talk about the options that he does have. Um, some moderate Republicans have talked about potentially partnering with Democrats at least to move forward with a CR. Um, uh, they do have the votes for that. They could. They don't need a whole lot of Republican support for that. Um, Presumably, the Senate is ready to support that, as is the White House. However, at that point, Kevin McCarthy is endangered as well. Yeah, it's. I, I think one of the most um, startling statements I heard uh, this week, and yet it really shouldn't surprise any of us at all, given the hyper-partisanship on the Hill, was Matt Gates, who has warned repeatedly this week, if Kevin McCarthy looks for one Democratic vote to help get this bill moved forward he will be he will uh, uh uh be ousted as speaker now when we've reached the point when you have republicans who absolutely take a firm stand and say we won't work with democrats on anything you've reached a really really troubling point in washington Tia, where do you think this goes? What signals are you getting um, from the Georgia delegation and from the speaker's office? So the speaker's office, the latest thing appears to be bringing more of those individual appropriations bills to the floor the way some of the conservatives want. But that doesn't do anything about the government shutdown on October 1, because, again, it's going to take time for those appropriations bills to make it through the process. And even if they get approved on the House floor, they're too conservative. They're not going to get support in the Senate. So there's still no funding. And the Senate is taking steps on a continuing resolution, stopgap funding. I think there's bipartisan support in the Senate, but without unanimous support in the Senate, those things can't move quickly. 
So it just takes one senator to say, I don't like that bill to make it more difficult, which again, time is running out. Government shut down October 1. What I'm hearing from Georgia's delegation, particularly I've been focusing a lot on our House Republicans because that's where the chaos is right now. And they're saying, number one, they were not happy about the meltdown on Thursday. They were not happy that members were sent home. Remember, last week it was when we come back, we are staying in session until we figure it out. We are not going home. If we can't fund the government, we stay until we figure it out. And then on Thursday, there's a meltdown and everybody's sent home. Um, So they're not happy about that. I think they know that there's not a shutdown yet, but the optics are already that people are blaming House Republicans and saying they're in disarray um, and saying they don't deserve to say in the majority. So they're very sensitive to that. Um, I think you will start seeing movement towards a bipartisan continuing resolution. But again, it still might not move quickly enough to avoid a shutdown. Well, Bill, it also strikes me that the politics for the GOP caucus writ large are not very good, but the politics for some of these individual members are not bad at all. Matt Gates is considering a statewide run in Florida. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, we know, has higher ambitions down the road at some point. Um, it doesn't mean this is only about politics, but it's a lot about politics. And there are so many different um, incentives for these Republicans going forward. You can really feel the crosswinds are just crippling for McCarthy right now. Yeah, I think that's really an important point, Patricia. We know that nationally, nationally, um, government shutdowns that have been led by Republicans, and there have been a number of them since uh, the beginning of the 21st century, um, work, and really going back, as we said, to Newt Gingrich in the 90s, um, work against Republicans. They lose seats, typically, um, when when they shut the government down and have in the past. But that's not the same as looking at an individual uh, state, for example, in uh, Georgia. I mean, with the gerrymandering of congressional districts in the state, it's unlikely that any members, I believe, are going to suffer much, much consequence um, if the government does shut down. Um, I am curious, though, Tia, whether or not there's a concern. Matt Gates has talked about how he'll primary any Republican who votes for a spending bill. And I wonder what you think that might mean to some of the people in the Georgia delegation who seem more open to trying to get something accomplished. Uh, Barry Loudermilk, as an example, are they really going to be primaried? Um, how do I say this delicately? I don't think Matt Gates scares anybody. However, <laughs> good to know. Good to know. However, Donald Trump scares them. Yep. And we got to remember that Donald Trump was um, on social media this week encouraging lawmakers not to support legislation that doesn't defund the investigations against him. And I think people are concerned about you know, as they've been since 2016, quite frankly, Republicans are concerned about getting in the crosshairs of Donald Trump and what that could mean for them in a primary. That's such a great point. We all remember Paul Ryan um, essentially deciding to leave his speakership voluntarily because he just 
did not want to deal with the Donald Trump forces and how much that was undermining his ability, um, as he said, to to get a whole lot done. Well, Kevin McCarthy has defied the odds before. I did not think he was going to be speaker in the first place, and he certainly did pull a rabbit out of that hat. He now officially has 12 rabbits to pull out of hats. Um, Tia, we are going to keep you um, looped in with us very tightly next week as all of this is unfolding. So um, we'll get those updates from Tia, and everybody can follow us on AJC.com and follow Tia's coverage on social media because this is an ever-changing story minute by minute, and we will continue to keep y'all posted. Well, still to come, what an Atlanta rapper and the White House are doing to fight gun violence in America, and a new push, this time from Georgia Republicans, for the Public Safety Training Center in the mostly Democratic city of Atlanta. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Our colleagues at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you informed on all of the developments in the Fulton County case against Donald Trump. And now the AJC is putting all of our coverage into one place in the Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have the latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. Sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Well, an Atlanta-based rapper who lost his nephew to gun violence last year met with members of Congress to discuss gun safety measures this week. Cuevo spoke on a panel led by Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock about the impact of the death of his nephew, known as Takeoff. Cuevo and Takeoff were core members of the popular rap group Migos. For me and my family, you know what I'm saying, we fighting against, this fight against gun violence is personal, not something that we ain't gonna forget. And um, we came to D.C. to spend this day talking about what we need from policymakers to build safer futures for our community. My family, your family, no family should have to suffer with this loss. And uh, I'm right here front line to help stop it. So it's just the beginning. And thank y'all again. Tia, that, I mean, that is so emotional hearing him talk about his nephew. And it really is so unexpected, honestly, from somebody who is so high profile in the music industry um, to use their platform to come to D.C. On this issue in particular, it really is, it can be so um, uh, controversial. It can be so partisan. Um, tell us about the event where, where you saw him. So the remarks we just heard were at a private reception, but he also did this panel discussion that I attended, standing room only, hundreds of people, people turned away. And what was really poignant, the um, the panel was at the Congressional Black Caucus Annual Legislative Conference. Raphael Warnock was the host. Lucy McBath was on the panel as well. And then Quavo, um, and Simone Sanders of MSNBC was the moderator. And she said, you know, raise your hand if you've been affected by gun violence. And over 70 people in the room, 70 percent 
70% of the people in the room. Um, and particularly in the black community, gun violence is, in the article I wrote, it's the number one cause of death for black men ages 44 and under. And, um, you know, we, a lot of the high profile mass shootings that attend to have victims that are not known to the shooter is what gets a lot of media attention, um, domestic violence uh, shootings, which um, black and white people, you know, that affects people of all races and socioeconomic backgrounds. But white women who are victims continue to get more, you know, um, attention when it comes to like, you know, Dateline, who did it? It was the husband. But most of the gun violence in America is in communities, poor communities and communities with um, people of color. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we won't get into um, in this uh, episode, but it means that it's the issue of gun violence tends to be one that affects people of color more um, and in ways that don't always get the media attention other than like the briefing, the crime briefing that sometimes doesn't even name the victim. Um, and so it is notable what Quavo's doing. We should note that he was not just, he didn't just lose a nephew. He watched his nephew. Um, he was there. And so his pain is still palpable. Uh, during the panel discussion, he broke down a little bit and, found it difficult to talk about. Um, it's fresh. It hasn't even been a year since it happened. Um, the guy hasn't even, there's been an arrest, but no trial. It's very fresh. And so for him in this fresh grief to come to Washington to say there's something that needs to be done and use his platform. Migos, they're not gangster rappers and they grew up in Gwinnett County. So they've never like pretended to be these thugs. But at the same time, bravado and masculinity and 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 money and and swag is all about rap music. And it's really uh, what Migos is all about. So he's still taking a risk, you know, doing this and being vulnerable in this way. Bill, the issue of gun violence, um, I think uh, it is so obvious to see the cost of gun violence. But when I talk to uh, particularly moms and mayors and um, people who are not directly involved in legislative efforts to curb gun violence, they don't understand why nothing is, it feels like nothing is being done to them. They feel like people aren't even trying to deal with the issue of gun violence at this point. Um, but the question is what needs to happen in order to move the ball forward um, in a way that is palatable to both Democrats and Republicans, because it's probably going to require a bipartisan solution, um, given the way that uh, party lines have broken down at the federal level. Well, you've just asked the question that no one seems to have an answer for. What can happen that's going to bring people together in Congress to do something? You know, I was thinking as I listened to Quavo, um, and you're so right, Patricia. It was so emotional to hear him talk about his nephew. Tia, you point out his his nephew 
uh, takeoff was shot right in front of him. And I believe I'm correct. Uh, takeoff was an innocent victim. He was caught in crossfire. He wasn't even involved in some way in a shootout of any sort. He just right. happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong moment. That's but, right. But what I thought of when I thought about the emotions that he exhibited, um, I thought about, well, yes, what about Sandy Hook parents who for decades have poured their hearts out about what they went through when they lost their young children? What about um, other students and, and parents at Parkland High School in Florida? It, it's striking that even the most emotional stories about the innocent lives lost to gun violence don't move the needle at all in terms of coming to some resolution uh, in Congress about all of this. So, uh, Patricia, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say, oh, yes, here's an answer to how we're going to move forward. But um, I just don't see that there's anything that's going to change the viewpoints of those, including here in Georgia, where a Governor Kemp um, uh, it, it has signed legislation uh, that continues to allow for more and more uh, um, uh, ability of Georgians to carry guns at will um, wherever they go. I don't know what's going to change that. Yeah, Tia. So, you know, certainly we've heard so much from the parents of those mass shootings. I mean, it's just so unspeakably horrific. But it does feel like Cuevo speaking out feels different because we don't hear as much from people in the Black community who may not be as politically wired, um, don't know how to access a press conference, don't know even or may have just uh, feel like they don't have enough trust in the system to bother speaking out on policy solutions when they're just so busy trying to get through their lives. Um, but another new thing that's happening is today at the White House, the um, president is is creating a new office on gun violence prevention. Tell us about that. And do you think it's going to make a, will it change anything? So it's interesting you bring that up because what I think is notable about the president creating this first time ever federal office of gun violence prevention is that they're hiring two grassroots activists, Greg Jackson and Rob Wilcox, Greg Jackson actually has been working with Quavo on his efforts to address gun violence prevention. There are every city in America has these grassroots organizations that are in the communities trying to address gun violence, trying to address crime, particularly in black and brown communities. But you're right, Patricia, they often don't have the same platform. And again, I get it. I get why a shooting in a classroom of kindergartners is going to hit different than, you know, a drug dealer shooting another drug dealer or um, things that are considered, unfortunately, more routine in America. Um, but what this new federal office is going to try to do, and again, working with these folks who have been in the trenches, is to say, Yes, we want to prevent the mass shootings and the it's still going to talk about things like banning assault weapons and regulating guns. But they're also going to talk about things like intervention programs in cities like Atlanta, cities like Chicago, um, things that can get to. Not just the policy aspect, but 
the the on the ground aspect that again doesn't get a lot of attention quite frankly policymakers it's we know republicans for years didn't want to tangle with the nra um republicans also for years just haven't engaged in a problem that's been interpreted as something that is a black and brown community issue um or they they say arrest the offenders and make it more of a law and order thing. And so this might might widen the conversation in ways we haven't seen. Yeah, it does feel like if we had another bucket of options to select from that don't feel so politicized right now, um, it might m- move toward a solution in some way. Isn't it interesting? I I know we're going to get to this subject in in a couple minutes. We're going to talk about where things stand on the police training center and how Republicans are uh, moving forward with their effort to really push hard to get it built. So we'll talk about that specifically in a minute. But there's an example of uh, of uh, Republicans supporting law enforcement, wanting to help them strengthen their ability to deal with crime in the community. And on the other hand, you have Republicans here in Georgia and on the Hill who don't want to do anything to take guns out of the hands of almost anyone who wants them. There's an irony there. Um, there's a contradiction in that, it strikes me. Well, I think it's a fundamental difference of approach to the usefulness of a gun. I mean, I think Republicans want to put more guns in the hands of people um, to, uh, in their words, defend against gun violence, put more armed officers in schools to stop school violence. Um, The solution, I think, on the Republican side is seen to be more guns will stop gun violence. On the Democratic side, it is fewer guns will stop gun violence. T, what do you think about that? And I was going to say there's also what often doesn't get much attention is the science or lack thereof. When Republicans were in control, they actually defunded some research on gun gun crimes and gun violence prevention that has restarted somewhat um, under the Biden administration. But I would think that this new office will look more at that. But gun violence prevention, and I'm not sure how far the office is going to go, but the statistics on the use of guns in not just homicides, but accidental shootings, dying by suicide, the statistics show that the more access to guns, the more people die by guns. But that's often not part of the conversation because, again, the politics and the partisanship gets in the way. Okay. Um, Well, we are going to continue to follow that issue Uh, next week. Tia, we'll get an update from you on how that announcement went at the White House today. Still to come, elected officials are weighing in this morning in favor of Atlanta's Public Safety Training Center, but most of them are Republicans who don't represent Atlanta. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
And we're back to the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Well, we think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on and you'll know what Tia and Greg and Adam Van Bremer and I are working at at all hours of the night and early mornings. Well, Governor Brian Kemp's political committee and State House Republicans both spoke out for the Public Safety Training Center in Atlanta Friday morning. Cody Hall, an advisor to Governor Kemp, said providing effective training should not be controversial. And State Representative Chuck F. Stration, the majority leader for House Republicans, said the city of Atlanta's plan to build the Public Safety Training Center is a smart solution to a dangerous problem. And they both pushed other elected officials in the state to speak out, not so much on the petition process, which is ongoing right now for the training center, Tia, um, but also just to speak out about the center itself. And so we have seen a really unusual situation now where we have state Republicans um, knowing that this is a very potent political issue statewide when we're talking about public safety, getting involved in this local controversy over the training center while other Democrats um, are really trying to work within that process to speak out for activists, but not speak out against the training center. The politics here feel like they're starting to overwhelm what the center itself really is. I agree. And I think that's a problem for Mayor Dickens, because at the end of the day, Brian Kemp and Chris Carr, they're not going to be able to help you in the city of Atlanta. And I don't want to boil it down just to like, you're not going to be able to win election, Mayor Dickens, because I think that's a terrible way for anybody to govern. And quite frankly, I think it shows courage that Mayor Dickens has chosen to do. You know, he's saying, I'm I'm, I think this is the right thing to do, even though he is getting a lot of opposition and people saying it will affect his reelection. That being said. Atlanta is controlled by Democrats and the more it appears that the public safety training center is being pushed by Republicans, the more public opposition will increase, including from the city council. Um, Because at the end of the day, public opinion does influence. That's how our democracy was built upon. We elect representatives to represent our interests. And when we don't think our elected representative is representing our interests, There are public forums to let them know. Not abuse, just First Amendment. Hey, Mr. Mayor or Mr. City Councilman, I don't like what you're doing. And um, and there will be that pressure mounting. I also think this attempt to like make it a Republican versus Democratic issue is just not great. And I think it also doesn't play well. And I think it's a, a misstep or a missed opportunity for that to, for quite frankly, the mayor's office, at the end of the day, this is the city of Atlanta project for the mayor's office to allow that to be the optics. I don't think is great. 
I don't know that the mayor's office has any control over this at this point. And I think that's part of the problem um, because uh, even in our conversation with Mayor Dickens that we had with him together, uh, Greg pointed out, I think even used the words, it feels like you're on an island right now because it's Mayor Dickens speaking out for the training center. We're not hearing from the business community. We're not hearing from the neighborhoods that Dickens says, when I go into neighborhoods, people say, why are you getting such a hard time about this training center? I want it. We are not hearing from those voices. And in the meantime, other Democrats are lining up um, to voice their concerns or ask a dozen questions about the petition process. And so it did feel like Dickens was on an island. Into the void swoops Governor Brian Kemp and the House Republican Caucus bill. And um, I agree that that is in a way counterproductive for Dickens' efforts to build support while this conver- while this debate, while this controversy really is swirling about the petitions and the signatures and Fair Fight is lining up against him on this, on the question of the petitions. Um, I spoke with Kelly Leffler yesterday. I asked her about it. She didn't put out a statement. She said she's 100% for the training center. John Ossoff, though, Bill, um, uh, released a statement to Greg uh, earlier on Friday, and he said that while he is for public safety training facilities for Atlanta, where those facilities are located is a decision for Atlanta. Well, that decision has been made. Yeah, Bill, what is that? I, 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 I have to say, when I I read that statement, I, I I'm sorry, I have to use an expression. It felt a little wishy washy uh, to me. I support a training center. I'm not necessarily saying I support it where. They want to build it now, which, of course, the city council has approved twice. The mayor supports. So I'm not quite sure just what Senator Ossoff is 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 saying with that statement other than trying to have it uh, every way he can. I, You know, it's, it's interesting, though, too, that it, it certainly when when Governor Kemp and Chuck F. Stration in, in this specific case come out uh, strongly in favor of the police training center. It's a statement about their belief in law and order, public safety. And we shouldn't forget that it was Governor Kemp who last year um, said that domestic terrorism charges uh, should be filed against the uh, protesters who, in fact, were violent, who threw, in some cases, Molotov cocktails, uh, burned equipment, um, uh, attacked uh, police vehicles. There may have been more people around them who were not participating in violence. Chris Carr has uh, now filed a RICO case against 61 protesters. But nevertheless, that then was a drawing of the line. We support public safety, and now they're saying we we support the police training center as a way to ensure that our law enforcement uh, 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 individuals on the street, our officers, are able to be have the best training to make our streets safer. Yeah, so Republicans certainly ran on the issue of public safety, but so did Mayor Dickens. In his race, he put public safety forward 
really front and center, along with a very broad conversation about youth interventions and making it the year of the youth and um, supporting these communities that are so ravaged right now um, by by violence and public, um, I guess, public incidents that we're aware of and, and others that we're not. Um, in a poll of Atlanta voters, public safety was the top issue in that race. It wasn't even close. Um, but Tia, politics are feel like they're changing a little bit right now. And it's not 100% clear um, why Democrats who are coming out in this way are are doing this. The, it was pretty clear where people were on public safety, but this does not feel like it's a conversation about public safety right now. Right. And I think that goes back to something we discussed at a previous podcast about how the conversation about the public safety training center is about a lot of things. It's about environmental activism. It's about, again, uh, police violence. It's about whether the best way to address crime in a city like Atlanta is to create a building for police or invest that funding in other prevention and intervention efforts. And that's why Ossoff's statement, I think, is interesting because uh, I think anyone, including Warnock, has said, yes, the police should have great facilities to train and get better. He said that over time, not necessarily recently. But what Ossoff is saying is that, yes, they should have a facility I'm not saying where it should be built. And that is acknowledging that, again, and a part of the conversation is opposition to where this facility is being built. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have today for our many, many issues surrounding Georgia politics. But that does bring us to one of our favorite segments on the Politically Georgia podcast listener mailbag. You can call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer it right here on the show. That number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Call us with your questions and we will answer them. And Shaney B and his interns have already gone through a whole bunch of them. Shane, which questions do you have today? What are the best of the best? Well, we have a lot of comments about the Public Safety Training Center. So let's go ahead and start off with Jeff in Atlanta. It was a really disappointing interview with the mayor. Uh, He has come out uh, swinging in terms of trying to communicate with people traveling around the city. And yet his communication around this particular issue, um, the police training center has been really not very transparent and uh, disingenuous. And he seems very, um, what's the word, like he's protecting himself. Um, If he really wants to learn from the experience, he should admit his mistakes. Okay, so Tia, some comments on the mayor's communications. Yeah, I think there are probably a lot of people who walked away um, listening to Mayor Dickens on our podcast, feeling that there are some gaps there, you know, in in some ways that perhaps the city could improve um, messaging, understanding um, in the way the, the public safety training center is being presented. 
And, you know, funny enough, I I heard from people as well. Um, they liked what the mayor had to say. They're like, wow, I really like Andre Dickens a lot more. Uh, however, those were Republicans from outside of Atlanta. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of tracks with, um, with what we're hearing um, from other people around the state. And by the way, if anybody missed that interview, you can go back on your podcast feed. Okay. Uh, that was a special edition of Politically Georgia with Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. We released that last Saturday. So go check it out. Uh, the next question about the training center is from Brent in Atlanta. I was a little surprised by Mayor Dickens' resistance to city council just putting the training center top city referendum on the ballot. It seems to me the process of verifying the signatures and the ensuing court battles, regardless of which way that breaks, will be very expensive for the city. It would be more expedient and less costly simply to put it on the ballot. wonder your thoughts for that. Bill, what do you think about that? Well, I think the mayor made it clear that the reason he doesn't want city council uh, to take it up um, is not because this referendum process has already been underway. It's all already uh, uh, clogged up in uh, court action, and that if suddenly the city council takes it up, and uh, let's say votes down uh, uh, a referendum, um, what would that mean to all those people who believe they still have an opportunity to push force a referendum because they've signed the petition? So I understand the, the um, mayor's point on that. He also said, look, this city council has voted for the uh, police uh, 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 training center on a number of occasions. Why would they now want to vote for a referendum? Yeah, they did. They took that vote twice and it passed overwhelmingly by by large margins. Okay, well, guys, thanks so much for those questions and comments. Keep the calls coming. And that brings us to our final segment of the Politically Georgia podcast. It's our Who's Up and Who's Down, where we tell you who we think has had a great week or a really bad one. Bill, we always like to to end on a high note. So what? who is your Who's Down for the week? You know, my down for this week um, is actually a group of people, the uh, many pro-life advocates in Georgia and across the country. And, and here's why. They were thrilled when Donald Trump's three appointees to the Supreme Court um, were able to push to end Roe v. Wade. But they now would like to see more action. They'd like to see a federal law that would either ban or severely limit abortion across the country. They'd like to see support from Republicans for more restrictions in states like Georgia. But now, in an interview with Meet the Press, Donald Trump refused to say that he would support a national ban or severe restrictions on abortion. And he had very little to say about state restrictions other than to say he thinks that Ron DeSantis went too far by passing a six-week abortion ban in Florida, which also applies to Brian Kemp in Georgia. So the pro-life forces are down in my book this week because they may not be getting from Donald Trump next time around what they got from him last time. Okay, Tia, who's your who's down? So my honorable mention, and they would have been my who's down last week, but I didn't think about it until after, is Delta Airlines. Because people, including yours truly, I must admit, 
were so disheartened by the changes to the Sky Club access and the medallion status. And they've been hearing it from people even a week later. They're still down. Um, But my real who's down is Kevin McCarthy. And he's just had a week that showed him really weakened and with no clear path forward. And the minute he starts negotiating with Democrats to fund the government, which looks like it's going to be required, is the minute people try to remove him from his position. So he's down. Yes, that was going to be, he was going to be my who's down. I mean, how much worse can it get? Poor Kevin McCarthy. Uh, my other who's down are House moderate Republicans. Um, the vast majority of Republicans are backing House Speaker Kevin McCarthy as he's moving through this process. Um, but really, they are all getting wound around the axle um, by the far right um, conservatives in the House, um, including on some occasions, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Sometimes that's Matt Gates, But it d- really does feel like a handful of House conservatives are really making all the decisions, um, not just for the uh, moderates who are supporting Kevin McCarthy, but for also for McCarthy himself. And that doesn't give moderates much credit for being the large number that they have over there um, in the House. So they are my who's down. Bill, who is your who's up? Vladimir Putin. I think given in a week when President Zelensky from Ukraine comes and makes a speech in front of the General Assembly saying that fighting Russia is a problem that the entire United Nations Assembled uh, needs to address, and you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and other far-right Republicans who are saying they either want to completely defund or drastically um, uh, reduce funding for the war in Ukraine, it's... um, all to the benefit of a a dictator in Russia who continues a relentless and um, completely unforgivable war in Ukraine. Okay, Tia, who is your who's up? So I was thinking about this and I almost made Marjorie Taylor Greene my who's up again because (laughs) she's really been playing chestnut checkers with this whole like the House Freedom Caucus kicked her out and said she's not conservative enough. And now she's like one of the hard right members blocking appropriations legislation. Um, but I'll say who's up is rapper Quavo, because it took a lot of strength and courage for him to speak the way he spoke and and remain, you know, through his tears, real tears. Um, and so uh, he's my who's up for the week. Okay, well, my who's up for the week really is Marjorie Taylor Greene. She may not be the speaker, but she sure did have the power this week. It took one woman to bring that house (laughs) to a halting stop, send everybody home for the weekend, even though the real speaker said they were going to work through um, until they were done. They're not done because Marjorie Taylor Greene says they're not. And so she is my who's up. It is hard to believe she was not in Congress um, in uh, 2020. And here she is um, calling the shots for a whole lot of members who aren't too happy about it, but doesn't really matter because she's had the final say so far this week. So she's my who's up. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song. 
and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.